All right. To start off our message today, think about one of those moments in your life where you were so terrified, you can just remember it like it was yesterday. You have any of those moments? You were so afraid one time in your life, and you start to think about it, and all the details are still there and vivid and present in your mind. That happens, doesn't it, with our memory, with these intense moments. Maybe it was like a car crash or perhaps a moment in a hospital or just a frightful time in your life. I have, I have, a, I have one. Uh, it's a little lighter-hearted just to not completely put us down before we raise up with the good news of Jesus. But freshman year of college, you'll notice a lot of my stories start with freshman year of college. I was, uh, I was up too late at night. And I had a paper due the next day. And you're starting to learn. I wasn't the best student that first semester of freshman year of college. I worked my way through it. We're, we're good now. But um, I had a paper due, and I hadn't started it. It was 1 o'clock. said, I have to get this paper done, so I'll just make some coffee and power my way through. 1 a.m., I make coffee. I get my paper done. 3 a.m., I am laying in my lofted bed in my dorm room, and I am freaking out because I'm laying there. My heart is like, like super fast, right? Not just my heart super fast. My stomach is like twitching. And they're like, like out of sync. And it's like this weird anxious rhythm going on. And I, my, my eyes are just open. And I can, I can picture like I'm laying in my, my bed right now. And I'm looking around. I see the moon out the window is a full moon. And I see where my alarm clock lights were. And I wanted to sleep. But I didn't want to sleep because I couldn't sleep. And I didn't know if I would wake up or not or if I would die death by coffee. Happy to tell you I did not die from the coffee-induced incident, but it was scary. But I can remember that. Today, we're looking at a very vivid memory of this, this moment, this memory that is captured for all of time in God's true word in which a group of individuals they thought, with, with no laughing matter, they truly believed they were going to die. And that's what we're looking at today in Mark chapter 4, our fourth week in our series, Follow Me, as we're sitting and resting in the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to focus in on uh, Mark 4, chapter, or excuse me, verses 35 through 41 today. So if you have your Bible, open up and follow along with us. But to help you land with where we're going, because we're going to talk about it in a little bit, the first part of chapter 4, Jesus spends teaching. He's in Galilee. He's by the Sea of Galilee, and this huge crowd gathers around him, as they would. And so he sits in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and he teaches this huge crowd. He sits in the boat. For one, no one can kind of like mug him and surround him. He has his own space. It also worked to help amplify his voice as kind of a natural projection. And so he's sitting in this boat, and he's teaching them many things. And he's teaching them in parables. Parables, they are, they are stories grounded in our everyday experiences that reveal heavenly kingdom truths. It's a simple way to kind of define it. And as he's teaching them, some of them uh, he are scribed for us in chapter 4. You have the parable of the sower. You have the parable of the lamp under a basket. The parable of the seed growing and then of the mustard seed. And in the mix, 
we have Jesus's explanation of the parable of the sower where he really dives in deeply with his disciples to help them gain understanding about this teaching. Here's the focus of that first little portion of chapter 4. The good news of God, that is the kingdom of God is here, so repent and believe this good news. The kingdom has arrived in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. The good news of God goes out to all, and despite its very humble beginnings, its very simple and small beginnings, it will spread and overtake absolutely everything. Now this good news, it's going to form deep roots in the lives of those who repent and believe which will then lead to a bountiful harvest of faith-fueled fruit. That fruit and that message of good news is then intended to go out, to be shared as a light with all as the kingdom continues to spread and overtake everything. It's a very quick synopsis of some very deep teaching. So read Mark 4, 1 through uh, uh, 34, and really, really mine out the gold within that. But the disciples, they were sitting there, they were listening to Jesus' teaching. They didn't fully understand it. Parables can be confusing that way. They're trying to wrestle with this and understand it. And, but, but Jesus, he sits with them and he explains it to them. But what else didn't they understand? They don't understand Jesus' authority and power over all things. Indeed, they do not yet know fully who Jesus is. But Jesus is now about to show them in dramatic fashion. And that's where we pick up on the passage today, starting with verse 35. Hear the true word of the Lord. On that day, the same day he's done all this teaching, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across the other side. And so leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Let us pause. Jesus spent the entire day teaching, full day of teaching. And now he wants to go across the sea for reasons we don't know, but he knew. We know, we find out what's on the other side in chapter 5. But he's not just going for what's on the other side, because there's a work to be done on that journey, isn't there? Now, half his disciples, you'll remember, are fishermen. And this is the same sea of which he called them to follow him on. They knew this sea. This was their home turf, right? Where they, they knew the dangers of it and all of that. And now it's evening time. And the Sea of Galilee, it's about 700 feet or so below sea level. And all around it are the hillsides and mountaintops. So then what happens is you get the cold air from way up high in those hills and mountains, interacting with that rising warm air from down low at the Sea of Galilee, and it causes this sudden and these severe storms that pop up like that. And at nighttime, 
it was even more likely for this to occur. So these fishermen who grew up uh, uh, fishing the sea knows all of this. And Jesus, of course, says, hey, let's head out across the sea at evening time where, you know, they don't have flashlights and things. It's going to be dark eventually too. But you know what? They knew that and they still obeyed and they traveled out. Credit where credit is due to those disciples. Did you notice some of the incredible and vivid detail that was pulled out in that, in those just few verses. As you hear this whole account, you will come to see that, that there, there are details there that must have been present from an eyewitness. And if you remember back on, on chapter 1, we talked about how a lot of Mark has been accumulated from the memories and the experiences of Peter, the disciple. And so here we have pretty clear evidence. There was an eyewitness. Likely this was Peter's recollection to John Mark who wrote these things down. For instance, they took Jesus just as he was. Strange sentence, just as he was. What does that mean? It means he was on the boat teaching and they took him across the sea just as he was. He didn't get off. He didn't hang out on the shore for a while or discuss or whatever. They just took him just as he was to the other side. It was time to go. It mentions there were other boats with him. There's no real purpose for those other boats other than say there were other boats there. That seems like a vivid detail that pops up. You ever give someone like, you know, you're telling a story and it's like a 20-minute story when it could have been a five? So this reminds me of, it's just like a detail that's maybe not necessary, but it's present, but it is helpful for us because it kind of shows, it kind of validates, hey, this is kind of like a, a legit story here. I mean, this thing actually happened. And of course, if you're retelling it, you're going to express all the details you remember. And then it talks about the boat during the storm. It is breaking and it's starting to fill up with water. All the while, Jesus, he's in the stern, not the aft, I had to look it up, you boaters out there. Stern is the back of the boat, right? Anyone know? I got a couple thumbs up and a yes. The back of the boat, he was on a cushion. Stark detail in which this memory is remembered. And if you remember, John Mark did not write it down as he went. This was Peter, years later, talking to John Mark about it. Peter remembered this like it happened yesterday. Peter remembered these details. Think about Peter, too. Think about everything we read in the Gospels and Acts and the epistles of Peter's life and ministry. A lot of dramatic, incredible stuff happened, but this day he still remembers vividly for reasons we'll realize in a minute. It definitely left an impact. His fear was not a, a, a typical fear. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, I drank coffee too late fear. It is a terror that he experienced. And the disciples were deeply afraid to the point where they believed that they were dying. And all the while, Jesus is asleep. <laughs> Interesting that in the gospel accounts and the Matthew and Luke's ver uh, kind of account of this passage here with Mark, it's the only time in the gospels it's mentioned that Jesus was asleep. We know he had to sleep, but this is the only time it actually points out that Jesus was asleep. In the most unlikely of times, he's sleeping. And it's a deep sleep. 
deep sleep. He, so it says he's on this mat in the stern. Here's a picture of a boat. This is a, this is a pretty cool picture. In the, in the 80s, they found a boat in the Sea of Galilee dated to the time area of this time. This is not a boat. This is taking that boat, which was, you know, uh, uh, kind of more of a skeletonized version that they found because it was in the sea for many years. And this was a reproduction of that boat. It could fit tightly about 15 individuals. There would be four individuals in the middle portion with two rowers on each side and the rest would kind of crowd around. This is what you would often picture the fishermen would fish off of. And so they're on this boat, and you'll see uh, and the front, and the, excuse me, the, the aft, I guess, and the stern is a decked area. Now, we're not certain if there was an actual open compartment under that deck or if it was closed off or not. We don't really know, but we do know Jesus was asleep at the stern of the ship, the boat. Now, if he was on top of that deck area, he is closest to the water. As that boat is going about, he absolutely is getting pounded with waves, and yet he's still asleep. Now, if he's underneath, if there is a compartment there, and that's where he was sleeping, where you think you might be safe for the elements, no, the boat was filling with water, and the boat is rocking in the wind and the waves, and you know how water it sloshes to and fro. He's getting drenched from underneath then, and yet he is still asleep. Plus the noise. He's in a thunderstorm. Have you ever been camping and you're in your camper, your tent, and the thunderstorm hits? Whoa, Nelly! <laughs> it's so loud! It is so loud! And he's on a boat in the middle of a sea. Your white noise cannot go loud enough to give you the idea of how loud that would have been. And yet, Jesus sleeps. And the movement. Have you ever been at an amusement park on one of those ship rides? You know what I'm talking about? You know what this is trying to mimic? This ship on the sea. (laughs) Okay? So if you've ever been on one of those, those ship rides and you're going, oh, I'm not feeling so good, that's what was going on in real life here on the Sea of Galilee. And yet, Jesus sleeps. Why is he asleep? Well, for one, we sleep when we're exhausted. Jesus was exhausted. Jesus had taught all day long. For <laughs> Pastor Curry will, will tell you too, uh, there's, there's no tiredness like a post-sermon tiredness. <laughs> and I say that as a, a dad of three very energetic kids. Uh, uh, find me from like 12 to 3 afterward, after we have lunch as a family, the kids go down for their rest time, and I am worthless. I am a zombie on the couch because I have to recover. That was just me with one message. Jesus taught all day long. He was exhausted. What does that reveal to us? It reveals his humanity. I think that's a beautiful thing. It reveals his humanity. But it doesn't just reveal his humanity It also reveals his complete lack of fear. Have you ever tried to sleep when you're afraid? I did. Freshman year of college, I couldn't sleep. (laughs) Or you've had a nightmare. You've had a kid who had a nightmare and was so terrified to go back to sleep. Have you ever tried to sleep? You can't. You can't sleep 
when you're terrified or afraid. Jesus wasn't afraid. He was at complete peace. Complete peace. He knew that no matter what, this wasn't the end. They would survive. The winds and the wave, they didn't have authority over him. He was the one with the authority. He was at complete peace. But the disciples, not so much. They thought for sure they were going to die, even as the source of their life lay right there, peacefully asleep. See, their fear is greater than their confidence in the presence and power of Jesus. And we can relate, can't we? We can relate. Has life ever brought you a storm? No, no, no one? Has life ever brought you a storm? Yeah. Maybe you're in a storm right now? Life brings us storms. We get pushed this way and that. We see the water filling up. We get overwhelmed. We, we get stressed to the max and downright afraid. And like the disciples, who have Jesus right there. We have the Holy Spirit right here. And yet the stuff we deal with in this life certainly can cause us to have a fear that supersedes our confidence in the presence and the power of Jesus the storm surrounding the boat is truly terrifying for the disciples. But for Jesus, it's simply a physical representation of the storm that is always raging. The storm in our hearts, in our lives, in this world, in the spiritual realm. And what we know is that Jesus has authority over it all, over and above it all. But the disciples' eyes aren't on their Savior. Their eyes are on the storm. So they wake Jesus. Let's pick up with 38. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, Peace! Be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? We can say that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. At witnessing the power and authority of Jesus, the disciples were filled with a great fear. That means that the fear they were experiencing during the storm didn't max out their fear tank within them, all right? There was still space to be filled. And what happens? They were even more afraid at the power and authority of Jesus than they were at the storm. 
in the Greek, the, the word used here, filled with great fear, it reflects that the terror they were experiencing, it was completely absolute. They were shaken to their very core. At the sea, yes, they were afraid. They were afraid to the point of believing they were dying. But at Jesus' authority over creation, they're terrified because the presence of the supernatural is more frightening to us as humans than the most destructive of natural disasters. And that's not downplaying the fear and reality of natural disasters. No, it's the reality that Jesus is still a stranger to his own followers. For they are better able to handle the possibility of their own death than they are the possibility of the presence of God among them. See, they knew their scriptures. Their scriptures are what we know as the Old Testament. And we, they know, like we know, only God can control the wind and the waves. Think about Jonah chapter 1. There's actually a fascinating connection with this account and what you read in Jonah. So if you want a deeper study, read Jonah 1, read this account, and start to see similarities and, and the interaction there. But they would have read that and know that it is God who controls the wind and the waves. They would have known Psalm 107 that says, Some went out in ships. They saw the works of the Lord, for he spoke and stirred up a great tempest that lifted high the waves. They would have known that from Psalm 107. They would have known about the flood and what God did when he sent the storm that covered the earth. Who is this, they say? Who is this? And behind that is, only God has this power. Only only God can do this. Only, only God has this power, but the implications of what he just did, this is huge. We see them slowly coming to believe. And once the sea is calm, Jesus turns to the disciples, and he speaks this word of rebuke. Now remember, because it's Jesus, every act of rebuke is filled with mercy and grace and love. He's always trying to, trying to draw people toward him. Even when in his indignation and anger, as Curry talked about last week, he is still love personified. In his rebuke, he is saying, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But if you see, Jesus doesn't rebuke their knowledge. They're growing in that. He was sitting with them patiently just before this, explaining the parable, helping them come to understand and to know and understand what this means. He was very patient with them. But he rebukes them because of their fear. Greek says it's, it's, it's losing heart. It's your loss of courage and confidence. It is a cowardice, is that fear. See, the real threat of faith comes not from a lack of knowledge, but from doubt and fear. The Word of God, we know the Word of God. It's not just knowledge. It is partially knowledge. Yes, huge important part of it is knowledge, but it's not solely knowledge because the Word of God is transformative. It creates order out of chaos. Like when God said, let there be light. 
It, it calms the wind. It stills the seas. The Word of God is, in fact, living and active. It's not simply a transfer of knowledge. It's an invitation to believe. He commands the seas, and they obey. The obedience of the sea and the waves is what the Lord desires for those who receive his word. At the word of Jesus, the storm immediately and completely submits to him. We thrash and we storm about. <laughs> if we could see inside our minds, inside our being, we would immediately recognize our need for Jesus' command of peace. Be still. Be still. Receive and be transformed by my word. Life can feel like a storm. You're just, you're just trying your best to get to the other side, to make it through the day, and a comment here, a phone call there, a message there, and you're blown every which way. But here is the good news of Jesus Christ for all of us today. Jesus' peace is greater than the storm. The storm in our lives, the storm in our heads, the storm in our hearts is nothing compared to the overwhelming power of Jesus. And the storms of this life will always come to their end. Even the storm that brought that flood, it came to its end. And what came out of it? A rainbow and a promise as the sunlight and streamed down. The storm of your life will come to its natural end. But the peace of Christ will continue and dwell with you forever. So in this life, we have a choice. Like the disciples, are we going to focus on the storm or are we going to focus on the Savior? Where are your eyes right now? Where is your focus and attention right now? How many of us are focusing on the storm and not the Savior? For the disciples, the storm was not the problem. Their lack of belief was their problem. And in the midst of the storm, don't focus on the wind. Don't focus on the wave. Focus on Christ who is present and completely in control and at peace. Keep your eyes on him. Focus on him. Trust and surrender to him and then follow his lead. What does a parent do with a kid who just had a nightmare? We've had quite a bit of training with this lately. Some of our kids have been going through some, some nightmares. And they come to you, and they are terrified. They are freaking out. As a parent, what do you do? Do you start freaking out too? No. No. First you embrace them. You embrace them. You get down on their level. You hold them. You look right in their eyes. Say, I'm here. You are okay. And everything will be all right. And you say it because you know it. And you believe it. And you long for that kid to know and believe it too. 
Jesus longs for us to look him in his eyes and receive his peace. We will face terrors. We will face fears. There is a storm all around us. And Jesus meets us on our level and he looks us in our eyes and he says, peace, be still. I am here. I am in control. This storm will pass. And as he does that, like in a child, a child who believes the words of their parents, we are drawn into deeper faith when we keep our eyes on Jesus and not the storm. He is saying, see, look who I am. Look what I can do. Believe in me. Have faith. Trust me. Surrender to me. In other words, do you believe? Do you believe? Then let this good news of who I am take root in your lives then no matter how hot the sun, how strong the waves, how thorny the vines, you will grow. You will thrive. You can persevere through anything because it's not your strength but mine that will see you through. This storm connects us to the earlier teaching of Jesus and the parable of the sower. It's a real-time application for the disciples do you see? Do you believe? Then let my word dwell in you richly as your faith produces roots, which will then lead to fruit. That's the encouragement for all of us that we, when we receive God's word. Think about it this way. Uh, consider this a modern um, attempt at a parable. I'm not Jesus, so it's not going to be nearly as good, but take from it what you can. The word of God goes out. Such as right now, as I'm preaching, the, 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 the spoken word of, of God. It, it's like I'm a quarterback, and I'm throwing you the ball. And you are here because you long to catch the word. You long to receive that word. That's why you're here, to catch that word. But once you catch it, oh, you're not in the end zone yet. You still have some work to do. You're not just going to sit there and hold on to it because if you do, if you just catch the word of God and do nothing with it, guess what? The storms of the world are going to come and tackle you and you're going to fumble, right? No, you catch that ball and then what, we, what do you do? It's up to you to then take it to the house. You catch that word and you run to that end zone. You take it, you take it with you. Us up here, we'll do all we can to be faithful to our calling, to teach and equip you all. But you know, we know, it is then up to you to take what you hear and let it take root and good soil so that the word of God becomes your way of life. The disciples heard the teaching, the parable. They then heard the teacher explain the teaching, but the roots were growing. They weren't yet deep. So Jesus led them out into deep water, brought them through the fear, invited them into faith, and they started to believe. How are your roots? 
how are your roots? How deep is your faith? How strong is your faith? Do you desire to have that trust-filled faith? If so, say in your head, I desire it. I long for it. I want it. May his word dwell in us richly. May, may we all repent and believe this good news, but not just in our heads. We bask in it enough so that it then moves from our head into our hearts so we have the knowledge of God and we have the experience of God and then it goes out into our hands as we serve God. May we all cultivate a life of rootedness. How do we cultivate it? We bask in the light of the world that is Jesus Christ. You know how some plants, such as sunflowers, how they turn toward the sun. May we turn our eyes toward the sun. You see that? By basking in the light of the world. How else do we cultivate a life of rootedness? By soaking in the streams of living water. Not the poisonous water this world provides, but the life of living streams that is found in Jesus Christ by resting in the presence and the power of a perfect God and by reaching out our branches to share outward the goodness we have received. The life of a Christ follower does this again and again and again, and as we do so, we grow deep roots to withstand any storm of this world. And when we have strong roots of faith, then we know the one who planted us. We know the one who created us. And our roots aren't formed out of our own power where they can just be plucked away at the most gentle of breezes. No, they are grown on the power of Jesus by his life-transforming word. So may all of our roots grow deep. May all of our branches reach high. May we produce fruit to share so we keep our eyes on Christ. For not only can our God command the wind and the waves, he created them. And he created you. And he created you for a purpose, to grow your roots deep and to bear fruit. So may we all not focus on the winds and the waves around us, but with roots of faith strong enough to withstand, may we keep our eyes on the Savior who is with us and brings with him his perfect peace. This is our good news for today. I have tossed it up for you. Have you caught it? Now take it home. Take it home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, God, for who you are, for your awesome power and majesty and authority, for your complete control over and above and in all things. In this moment, this morning, we fix our eyes on you. Lord God, we believe that your 
Spirit is present with us. You are in our midst, and you are doing what you do, transforming lives, convicting, encouraging, comforting, and inspiring us towards our next step of faith. So right now, God, I pray that you will illuminate within each of us that next step. Maybe it's in way of that main takeaway or it's just an action you're calling us to. Maybe there's something we need to shed off as we repent of it. There's something we need to put on as we believe in your good news again this morning. Whatever it is, God, I pray that only through your Holy Spirit you do your mighty work and you fill us with the faith to respond. May our eyes stay on you this day as we go out to love and serve you. May we be people with a deep sense of rootedness and significant fruit as evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit that point back to the faith that we have in you. You are incredible. Your authority and your power over all creation astounds us. And yet that is just simply who you are. So we return again to worship you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.